Chief Executive Officer of the uh, the South African Institute of International Affairs based in South Africa here in uh, the Republic of South Africa. Thank you so much, Ms. Elizabeth Sidropoulos. It's great to be with uh, you, Tali. Um, great and great that we can have this conversation on a very, very uh, important uh, uh, topic, both economically and developmentally for the continent. What was the reason that uh, you convened the public roundtable on Africa's resilience and the G20, exploring Africa's G20 agenda? What was the purpose of this? So over the last uh, three and a half years, we've been uh, leading, co-leading together with counterparts in Nigeria, the Center for the Study of the Economies of Africa, uh, a, a project that began actually in the in the midst of the the pandemic, which intended to focus on how African economies were responding uh, through their macroeconomic tools to to the COVID pandemic, and we were. Looking at that through through the prism both of the macroeconomic um, uh, mechanisms that uh, were were in place, but then also the impact on on socioeconomic vulnerability and of course on climate. As you as as you will recall from the pandemic, uh, many economies uh, uh, went into fiscal stimulus mode. Certainly uh, not to the same extent as those in the global north were able to. Um, but a lot of money was, was, was pumped into the economy, both to deal with uh, social protection issues, uh, as well as to, uh, uh, uh with, uh, sort of the, the overall macroeconomic health of the economy. And this project has now come to, to an end at, uh, at a time, of course, when, uh, the African Union has joined the G20. Uh, SIA has been a long-standing, uh, participant in certainly the Think20 processes of of the G20. And there is a very clear link between this project and the agenda uh, uh, on the G20, uh, in in the G20, which really uh, largely focuses on on global economic governance, not only, but but certainly largely focuses. And a lot of the work that we have produced together with, um, as I said, uh, our partner in Nigeria, but also think tanks in Uganda, in Tanzania, in Benin, and in Senegal, uh, actually help to create a, a a more informed picture of uh, how African countries uh, uh, have dealt with poly crises, uh, one crisis after another over the last uh, four years, and going backwards also into time, created certain tools like uh, we've. We've created a socioeconomic uh, vulnerability uh, tool, uh, uh, one that looks at the extent to which climate features in in the financing of vulnerable, vulnerable countries and so on. And so we brought all our partners together, as well as other think tanks from the continent that um, uh, that tackle some of these uh, economic and developmental issues, to both present and engage with the research, and then fundamentally also to really consider and reflect how the AU's membership, uh, permanent membership now of the G20, what does that mean in terms of the of the priorities that the AU needs to take forward? And also, of course, the fact that, uh, you know, in, in 10 months time or just under just under 11 months, South Africa will be taking over the presidency uh, of, of the G20. Uh, and so the, the discussions around what uh, what should be the key 
uh, priorities that, that, that we take forward. We know already in the case of Brazil that Brazil has highlighted, which, uh, Brazil, which chairs the G20 presidency this year, has highlighted inequality and, 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 and the eradication of, of poverty and hunger as, uh, its sort of, uh, a key focus in, in, uh, in its G20 presidency. And clearly South Africa is in the process now of also uh, developing its, uh, its ideas and, and priorities for how it will, um, preside over the G20 in 2025. So in terms of um, uh, South Africa, why was it important that it had to campaign for the uh, AU to get into the uh, G20 platform? Of what significant? Because a lot of people have been crediting South Africa's effort on that inclusion. You know, the, the global, globally, uh, the G20, as I said, is a global economic governance forum. It's not a formal multilateral body. It's a grouping. But the idea behind it when it was first created as a, uh, as a grouping of uh, finance ministers and central bank governors in the aftermath of the Asian uh, financial crisis in 1998-99, uh, it was created in 99, was to bring together countries that were systemically important, that together in one room could come to an agreement on uh, on issues that were critical to the global economy and could then drive that through the more formal multilateral uh, bodies. So almost like a, a caucus. And, you know, we had a caucus, so to speak, previously uh, with the G7, but uh, which in, in 99, um, no, it wasn't, I don't think that become the G8 yet. Um, we had it in the G7, but the G7 by that stage had realized that it wasn't sufficient uh, for those countries to get together and sort of decide that it was important to bring other developing economies, big, uh, not necessarily the biggest uh, developing economies, but developing economies that were systemically important in their region, uh, in the way in which they engaged on, on global economic affairs into the room uh, to, to try to resolve uh, global economic uh, issues uh, in a way that then could, that these could be driven, for example, through the IMF, the World Bank, Financial Stability Board much later. Of course, that came uh, after the financial crisis. Um, and in 2008, that led to the elevation of this meeting to a, a, a summit uh, when we had the uh, uh, the major global financial uh, crisis that that affected all of us, affected the global north, it affected uh, uh, the global the global south to, to to varying degrees. And so this is the the forum where a lot of the critical discussions that impact on the rules and regulations and the norms of the global economic system are discussed and sometimes, not always, but sometimes agreed on. And then these agreements are taken forward in other, uh, in, in other organizations, whether it's, as I said, the IMF and the World Bank or the, uh, the inclusive framework uh, around taxation and the OECD and so on and so forth. And so the fact that Africa wasn't part of the discussions, that there was only one African country on the G20 compared to the fact that other regions have actually been much better represented, meant that a lot of the issues that uh, a lot of the outcomes of, of, of G20 meetings um, only had limited uh, input from, 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 African, from the African continent. South Africa certainly, uh, I think, played a very important role in, in, in sort of also bringing back uh, uh, discussions at the G20 into into African forums in in terms of uh, consulting and engaging. We saw that very well uh, during the COVID pandemic when uh, President Ramaphosa was also uh, 
uh, chair of the of the AU. Uh, he engaged uh, with uh, the AU bureau before sort of um, going into into G20 meetings, particularly around the pandemic. But there's nothing like actually having that person, having the that country or that organisation at the table. And so South Africa pushing uh, over over many years uh, at one uh, for, for some time, the AU was also an observer. But um, which is not quite the same as being a member. So South Africa's pushed together with India's, uh, I think, uh, openness really to putting that onto the agenda and to uh, and to making it happen. Uh, last year, I think, was instrumental in ensuring that a lot of the conversations that the AU is already having on the what I call the global superstructure, uh, the architecture that sometimes doesn't make our ability uh, to to develop any easier. Uh, those discussions that we're having uh, within the continent can now also be much more forcefully uh, articulated and advocated for between South Africa and the African Union in a forum like uh, like the G20. I mean, you, you not by any 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 stretch to say that uh, South Africa didn't do enough uh, to represent Africa's views. Uh, that's why we needed the AU per se. No. But obviously. Having, having the AU because it represents the rest of the African continent definitely it strengthens Africa's cause, isn't it? Yes. No, I don't think it's about whether South Africa did enough or not. And and I think you know it's it's important also to understand the the dynamics within a G20. You know, there are there are twenty, um, well, there are nineteen countries. There were 19 countries and the European Union. Now there are 19 countries in the European Union and the African, and the African Union. And, you know, if you're, if you're the only person there, the only country there, there's only also so much, uh, you can do. And you're actually there to represent your own interests. That's South Africa as well. I mean, South Africa has always taken, uh, taken the approach that says, you know, if we're in any global fora, uh, you know, we are going to advocate for, for, for African positions and for priorities that are critical to Africa. So, for example, in the G20 over a number of years, um, South Africa really pushed, particularly in the development working group of the Sherpa track, uh, for the issue of illicit financial flows to be on the agenda. And specifically on trade mispricing. Um, and it, it pushed that agenda, you know, quite a way down the line. It wasn't able, uh, at the end, uh, after it had uh, tabled a, a, a report uh, that had been commissioned to the World Customs Organization to actually uh, get decisions taken on that. But that's also a highly political uh, issue where countries' interests, different countries' interests, uh, you know, come, uh, come clashing with the more moral arguments about a more uh, a fairer uh, and a more transparent international taxation system. So there were things that, that South Africa did, did absolutely push. Um, but having a second voice uh, makes it uh, uh, a little easier. Um, we saw that also. Um, we saw that also with the um, uh, the arguments around uh, an additional uh, seat on the IMF, uh, an African seat on the IMF. We uh, the continent already has a third uh, seat uh, at the World Bank, and the decision at the Marrakesh meetings last year of the World Bank and the IMF was to 
push for a third uh, seat uh, for Africa on the IMF. That was also uh, very important, even though people say, oh, well, you know, it would have been better maybe to get more uh, quota share. But then you have people sitting around the table, another person sitting around the table from the continent who can actually articulate and push and support uh, uh, positions, uh, priorities uh, that, that, are, that are African uh, rather than just a lone voice in, in a group of 20 or, or, or 30 people um, or 30, rep, uh, 30 delegations. And I think that's what's, that's what's important. And as I said, again, the, the, the fact that, you know, South Africa also is there to, to represent its own interests. Um, and sometimes we, uh, we, we sort of, we forget about that, but that's also important, you know. Um, many, most of the other, all of the other countries sitting around the table, um, in the, in the G20, uh, represent uh, their interests largely. And, and I think we've tried to play that dual role. I mean, in one of your, your sessions, you discuss uh, or, or assess the resilience of, uh, of South Africa's, I mean, Africa's microeconomic uh, uh, opportunities and, 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 and operations. I mean, we have the African continental free trade area right now. When you're talking about resilience and vulnerability, um, as far as uh, macroeconomic issues are concerned, what did you touch on there and some of the issues that as a continent we need to be aware of, especially if we are at a grouping such as the G20? The big issue here is that African economies uh, face certain domestic challenges uh, in being able to respond to shocks, sudden shocks. But there are also, of course, many um Adverse exogenous shocks and the challenges that the African continent and South Africa uh, have faced in in the most recent past over the last uh, three or four years have been largely brought brought on by exogenous shocks, but of course uh, compounded uh, by the fact that uh, you may have certain economies that are highly dependent on, say, one commodity, for example, uh, which then makes you extremely vulnerable uh, to how that commodity performs if you're also, for example, not really um, producing too much, uh, too many intermediate or, or, or high-value manufacturing goods. Coupled with that, we've also had uh, uh, global supply chain disruptions, uh, both as a result initially of COVID when there was lockdown, then followed by the Ukraine war, and more latterly, uh, let's not forget what is happening in the Red Sea as a result of the of the of the war in Gaza. Uh, the work that that we did unpacked those uh, uh, those exogenous shocks and looked at the way in which countries were able to respond to those, whether it was in terms of uh, a fiscal stimulus, whether it was the extent to which that fiscal stimulus, for example, might was used also to deal with issues of inclusion, also to deal with issues of uh, of, of climate, uh, because climate, of course, is, is the big elephant in the room. How are we going to manage to adapt to a changing climate, climate but also uh, critically, how are we going to finance our uh, our energy transition? And and clearly, um, while I think in in many ways uh, you will find that uh, African economies were reasonably resilient, that in other words they were able to move through the crisis uh, 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 with some pain, but 
were able to, to put in place certain uh, certain mechanisms to to alleviate uh, that, whether it was uh, in terms of um, uh, paying. Uh, Grants to, uh, to 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 uh, to people who had been affected, for example, by uh, by the lockdown, providing support to small businesses, and so on and so forth. Uh, there were nevertheless impacts on the on the economies, and and we know that as a fact, if we look at the statistics, uh, the uh, African economy as a whole had been growing for more than a, for about twenty five uh, uh, consecutive years. It had, had realised positive growth. And in the last uh, four years, result of the pandemic, that came to an end. It's now picking up again. Um, I think uh, the World Bank uh, estimates are that we, you know, the continent will will see growth of about 3.6, I think, uh, this year. Uh, but this is really we've lost. We have gone back on many of the developmental indicators uh, uh, that we were able to make real progress on over the last uh, sort of uh, two decades. Uh, and and it is as a result of our vulnerability to external yeah. shocks, which could be the lockdowns, wars, critically climate disasters, which are coming, are coming at us fast and furious, uh, floods, droughts, and so on. If you think of the droughts in East Africa, uh, the, the cyclones that we've ex- been experiencing here off the southeastern coast of of, of, of Africa, and 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 so on, um, yeah. and so there's a degree of resilience, but mm. also heightened uh, uh, vulnerability to these shocks, which can only be addressed if you uh, if we're able to build much more diversified economies. Hence, the African continental free trade area, and we integrate. I mean, those are the two key sort of words. Some of the major events happening this year that you're organizing, some of the area of focus for SAIA this year, should Africa be worried about issues of climate change, where we have countries that are really underdeveloped? Should they be really focusing on climate change issues where they really need to burn the fossil fuels in order to develop, as the first world countries have done? What do you say about that? So I don't think it's either or. I, I don't think it's either or because the climate change is upon us. So um, we need to be able to adapt in the first instance. And in the second instance, we need to, to look at diversifying um, our, also our, uh, our, energy, uh, our energy mix as, as a whole. Yeah. Absolutely, the debate is very much about you cannot – uh, you cannot tell us uh, as a global north that we now have to l- use less energy uh, yeah. because you used it all up uh, many years ago and so that will affect our development. Absolutely not. It's not an either or, but we clearly have to be thinking and allocating resources to being, a- to being able to adapt and also where we have the opportunity. You know, we have so much sun here on the continent uh, to actually make use of that uh, and therefore, at the same time, to actually, you know, the over 600 million people who don't have access to energy here, we need to bring them into the energy pool. Uh, but we can do that in, I think, creative ways, uh, not only with fossil fuels, but a, a clearly a, a, a sort of uh, over, over the period, a, a lessening of the of the fossil fuel uh, consumption uh, and, and building up renewables where we have uh, the, the comparative advantage. And, and, and there is there yeah. is much there. Uh, what's happening this year, Saya? So for us, um, the G20 will be a big, um, a big focus. 
uh, and the G20 in the sense of looking at issues of climate justice, as we have just uh, spoken about, looking at issues of multilateral uh, um, development, bank reform, issues of, of debt. Uh, and so that is almost a, a cross-cutting uh, a cross-cutting issue. We will continue uh, to do uh, quite a bit of work on, on foreign policy and issues of non-alignment and how also the uh, the current um, the newer developments, for example, in, in, in the Middle East, uh, affect and impact on the way in which the Global South navigates issues of, 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 of non-alignment. Uh, and then we continue with the, the work that we do through our Futures Foresight, uh, which is looking uh, uh, particularly at green minerals on the continent and how we develop uh, strategies across across the continent to be able to ensure that the green minerals uh, are simply not not used in the same way that previous minerals were, but that we can create uh, uh, value chains within 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 the continent uh, that allow us to take advantage of the green technology revolution. Let me thank you so much for your time. That's great to be with you, Tali. Thank you.